Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 372. Welcome in. Uh, still getting used to the space. It's a bit echoey still. I'll put some paneling there. I haven't figured out the space yet. Still working on it. Uh, this episode's later. First of all, this episode's going to be shorter uh, than I think a lot of other episodes. That's intentional. I kind of got to the point where I'm like, I want to just put something out. I could have added more, and I'm like, well, I, I don't want to get it out Friday. I better put it out now. So uh, welcome in. This episode's coming out later than I was aiming for. Uh, I do have a good reason. My little brother, uh, Zeke, was in town. And, and in town, meaning like he flew 2,500 miles to where I live uh, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And so, and look, I've only got one little brother left. The other one died. So I, I am very comfortable saying I prioritized my time with my brother this past weekend. Uh, I'm not going to see him until at least February. So I, I had a great time. We went snorkeling. That was a big fear of mine. Kind of overcame that. We hung out, went to the beach. Um, and, and look, if, if COVID shutdowns happen here, then it maybe could be even longer than February by the time I see him next. So I spend the weekend catching up with him rather than watching football. That meant that I did not start watching football until Monday. Monday, all day Tuesday, binging just football game after football game after football game. Um, and I, I got to say, I am already, and I say already, you know, I didn't realize how lucky we were last year to not have a preseason. The preseason is just, I'm, I'm so glad they made it shorter. It, it's just frustrating me as I, I've never watched so much football and gotten so little out of it before this year. It's crazy to me where these are basically scrimmages and, you know, where quarterbacks can be tackled. These are just, it's practices. There's not much going on. It's hard to get a read on it. Uh, and I already I'm like, man, I cannot wait till week one where we can finally like read way more into what we're seeing. It's going to be so much more fun. Uh, but there are a couple big news stories today. Number one, the LA Rams have traded running back. Let me rephrase that. The LA Rams have traded for running back Sony Michel from the New England Patriots. Remember the Patriots drafted Sony Michel in the first round three years ago in the 2018 NFL draft. And, and, and by the way, here is what New England got in the trade. It's very interesting. They only got two conditional late-round draft picks. Uh, Adam Schefter, it's not confirmed, but Adam Schefter has reported that those are a fifth-round pick and a sixth-round pick. There's a lot to unpack here. Number one, my immediate reaction when I found out this trade went down was excitement and, and kind of merriment. I'm like, oh, okay, awesome, because the Rams, who a team that is gearing up for a Super Bowl run, really, really needed a running back. Uh, earlier in the offseason, Cam Akers, their running back, tore his Achilles. And it felt like a big blow. It felt like, to me, for the last month or so, uh, when that went down, I'm like, man, the, the Rams have got a great defense, great quarterback Matthew Stafford, great coach, good offensive line, good receivers. But who's their running back? Like, are they going to be able to have a running back that's effective? So bringing in Sony Michelle to me, was very encouraging. And, and we've seen in the past that Sean McVay's offense has proven that it can with scheme and play design, elevate running backs. Remember, Todd Gurley got a massive contract last year. Cam Akers looked phenomenal. They had like a one-two punch. It worked really, really well. I have confidence that not only will Sony Michelle do well in LA, I think he's actually kind of the last piece of the puzzle to help the Rams potentially win a Super Bowl this year. Now, here's a question. Why was Sony Michelle, a former first-round pick, 
so cheap. And then also, I guess the other question you can ask is, it, it, did he fail in New England? You know, a guy that was a former first-round pick that he traded away for very, very little. And he never really had an amazing year. He never ran for over 1,000 yards. And then after three years to get traded for two late-round picks, that's, I mean, how do you make sense of all that? First of all, the Patriots have a ton of really good running backs that can contribute and do and take meaningful snaps and be very, very effective in the NFL. They've done that all through the preseason. Kind of the most impressive part of the Patriots this preseason has been, oh my gosh, dude after dude after dude. They're so good at running back. So the Patriots do not need Sonny Michel. And roster cuts are coming soon. So it seems like they traded him to save themselves from having to cut somebody else. Where they were like, either we got to trade someone or cut somebody, and the thought process, I think, was, hey, if we trade Sony Michelle away, at least we get something back rather than cut. Who knows who they would have cut? Maybe Sony Michelle, maybe somebody else, but they would have got nothing in return. And when you have a plethora of players and, and an abundance and too many of something, trade one of them away, get something back in return, it makes total sense to me. Uh, and the reason why the Rams got Sony Michelle for so cheap is because he's, he's never had an amazing breakout year. All he's really ever shown is potential, like to show like, ah, he could be great if only this happened and that happened. And the Rams are banking on the fact that they can get everything out of him, that they can help him reach his potential in LA. I, I'd love to see that. That'd be awesome. But I think this is a great trade for both sides. The Patriots got something in return for Sony Michelle rather than cutting a running back, getting nothing back. And the Rams got a running back who hopefully can be a key focal point helping them achieve their goal of winning a Super Bowl. Now, one other thought is, remember the Patriots drafted Sonny Michel back in 2018. Was that a waste? That's the other like, kind of question that comes up in this, I, I don't know what you call it, in, in this narrative here. And so, yes, probably the Patriots should have drafted running back Nick Chubb rather than Sonny Michel. Remember, Nick Chubb got drafted like three or four picks later by the Cleveland Browns. And Nick Chubb has been much, much better throughout the NFL, uh, throughout the NFL process. But here's the thing. Sony Michel helped the Patriots win a Super Bowl. And so it's kind of like, oh, come on. You can be mad, but he did contribute to them winning a Super Bowl. And things could have been far worse. Yes, was he hurt too often? Did he underachieve? Absolutely. But he also didn't completely fail. He wasn't an absolute bust. And I think any Patriots fans who are complaining about how, oh, we traded him away. We didn't get enough for him. It's like, well, you won a Super Bowl. Be grateful. Be happy. Move on. You got a guy who contributed. And you got something back for him in return rather than cutting him, which you may, if you try to trade away Nikhil Harry, you may not get anything in return. So the narrative that Sony Michel was a wasted pick by the Patriots, was it not the best pick? Absolutely. Was it a wasted pick? It wasn't that either. Now, let's shift to Denver because the Denver Broncos have named Teddy Bridgewater their starting quarterback. And I don't know if you can tell. I am sweating bullets. It's really hot in here. It's kind of weird. I, we're in the middle of the city. I, I'm pretty sure my neighbors can hear me underneath me. And it's, it's hot. It's basically outside. There's no AC in this room. And there's no, like, none of the windows are sealed. So, like, I can see through a lane right outside. And it's just hot. It's pouring in like crazy. Uh, anyway, I want to shift to Denver because the Denver Broncos have named Teddy Bridgewater their starting quarterback. He's won the job over the starting quarterback they had last year, Drew Locke. And I got two minds about this. On one hand, it's kind of weird. I go, hmm, the quarterback battle was closer than I thought it would have been. 
I think Teddy is slightly better of a quarterback than Drew Locke. But I figured that if the competition was close at all, I thought the Broncos were going to end up playing Drew Locke rather than Teddy Bridgewater because Drew Locke has a bigger arm. He's got more potential. He's younger. And unlike Teddy Bridgewater, there's potential that Drew Locke could become Denver's long-term answer at quarterback. Now, I do admit Teddy Bridgewater is slightly better. He's a slightly better quarterback, but it's marginal. The gap is very, very small. And so here's how I make sense of it. Here's how I interpret the thinking by the Denver Broncos to be. I don't think Denver cares about long-term right now. And, and I kind of get it because Denver has this incredible stacked roster. They've got a great defensive line. They really, they have great defensive players everywhere. They've got a ton of receiving weapons. They've got a running back. They've got a good offensive line. They've got this great team, and I don't believe the Broncos want to miss out on it. They've got fear of missing out. They're like, all we need is a quarterback to make plays and not screw it up because we've got this great team ready to win. And so I think that's the attitude in Denver. And if Teddy is slightly better, maybe not way better, but even gives them a slightly better opportunity to win a bunch of games and make a deep run, I think the attitude is, hey, we'll take it. That's good enough for me. We'll move on. Whatever gets us closest to maximizing our potential works for me. And I, I really don't think people understand literally how good the Denver Broncos roster is. I mean, listen to their receiving core alone. They have... Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, a tight end who's about to be a star, Tim Patrick, they got Melvin Gordon at running back, their defense is stacked, Bradley Chubb, Vaughn Miller, Kyle Fuller, Pat Sertan, Ronald Darby, Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, it goes on and on and on. People do not understand. A lot of people look at the Denver Broncos losing a lot of games last year and go, oh, they suck. What do you mean they're good? Well, <laughs> they had a bunch of injuries, they didn't have a real quarterback. With good quarterback play and not decimating injuries all over the place, the Denver Broncos are poised to be incredibly good as a football team. They could make a deep run. Now, here's a really, really fun thought in all of this, is that for Teddy Bridgewater, this is a massive shot at redemption. For a very brief period after the 2015 season, Teddy Bridgewater was a Minnesota Vikings starting quarterback. He led them to an 11-5 season they won the NFC North. They actually beat the Green Bay Packers. They won their division. They made the playoffs. It was great. Everything was really, really good in Minnesota. And Teddy Bridgewater was viewed as their franchise quarterback. He was the long-term future in Minnesota. And then in 2016, he had this horrific knee injury, didn't play at all, was a backup in 2017. Then he played for the Jets. He backed up Drew Brees in New, uh, New Orleans for a little bit. Last year, Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback in Carolina. The team there wasn't very good. And I say all that to tell you that Teddy really has not had very many good opportunities to be a quarterback in the NFL recently. So in Denver, this is the best chance Teddy Bridgewater is probably ever going to get in the NFL, where his team is stacked. And maybe what he can do is show, this is what could have been had I never gotten hurt, had I really been given a shot to grow into my potential in Minnesota, have a good team built around me. Remember, they were a good roster. They won their division. And Teddy was not the best part of that team in 2015. Imagine if Teddy hadn't gotten hurt and had time to grow and develop what he could have been. And so if you're the kind of person like me who likes alternate history or likes to think of what could have been, we might get to see what could have been in Denver this year with Teddy Bridgewater. Personally, I would not bet on Teddy 
doing amazing. I think he's a very limited quarterback. He's got an average arm. He's a decent decision maker. But they're also, I don't want to discount the fact that there is a small chance where, and the story would be amazing. There is a chance here that it could be like Kurt Warner getting the opportunity he had in Arizona where Teddy Bridgewater comes in. It's, I think it's his eighth year in the NFL. So later in his career, never really done what we thought he might be able to after that 2015 season. And this is the best roster Teddy Bridgewater is ever going to play on. So I'm not too invested, but I have this fun, like, glimmer of hope that maybe, maybe we can see magic happen and Teddy Bridgewater can go on a deep playoff run with the Denver Broncos. I would love to see that. We saw Nick Foles win a Super Bowl. So if Nick Foles can win a Super Bowl, I would imagine Teddy Bridgewater can. And I, I mean, Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. But the key here is they've got a really, really good football team. And Teddy doesn't have to do that much. He has to manage games, make a couple throws when he needs to. It's doable there. He's got to play well. And I think there's an opportunity here, a small, thin chance that magic could happen in Denver with their amazing roster led by their quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. Okay. Um, by the way, former first-round quarterback Josh Rosen uh, is on now his fifth team in four years in the NFL. Remember, he was drafted 10th overall by Arizona. Then a year later, he got replaced by Kyler Murray. They drafted Kyler Murray number one overall. Then he went to Miami, only to be replaced by Tua. Then he played for Tampa briefly, got cut. Uh, then he went to the 49ers. They drafted Trey Lance. They ended up cutting Josh Rosen. So now Josh Rosen has been signed by the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they did this because the Falcons backup quarterback, A.J. McCarron, it was really, I don't know if he, I watched the play. He, he ran and slid and got up did the next play, did a handoff. And after the handoff, which was, there was no contact, he hurt his knee really badly and thought he, tore, well, he ended up tearing, tearing his ACL. But I don't know if he tore his ACL running and sliding or was it the handoff, a non-contact injury? I have no idea. But what happened in Atlanta now is they're left with basically no backup quarterback. They have Felipe Franks who, gosh, he runs really well. He's terrible at throwing the football. I, I'm not, nothing against Felipe Franks, but I watched that Falcons game and I was like, this is not pretty at all. And so what I really like is that Atlanta is probably the best opportunity Josh Rosen has ever had in the NFL, where, first of all, they have no other quarterbacks other than Matt Ryan, Felipe Franks, and now Josh Rosen. So it's very likely that Josh Rosen is actually going to make the team and get a chance to stay there for the full season. The other cool thing is that he gets an opportunity to sit and learn behind Matt Ryan, who is someone that Coming out in the NFL draft in 2018, everybody compared Josh Rosen to Matt Ryan. Everyone said, he's the next Matt Ryan. He, the prototype is Matt Ryan. And so I think to sit there, develop behind Matt Ryan's awesome. And, and to be clear, this is the last opportunity Josh Rosen is probably ever going to get in the NFL. He has not been able to stay on a roster for whatever reason. And what's weird is there's no, like, when Dwayne Haskins got cut by Washington, you heard all kinds of stories like, well, he's doing this off the field and that off the field. We haven't heard that from Josh Rosen. All we know is that he hasn't been effective enough for teams to want to keep him. So this is the last opportunity for Josh Rosen, but it actually might be the best one he's ever had where he doesn't need to play immediately. There's no expectation of him. And it's pretty likely he's going to make the roster and also can learn behind a really good quarterback. So I find myself hoping that Josh Rosen can turn his career around, maybe salvage it to some degree. And I really do believe there's a story developing there in Atlanta where maybe something might happen down the road with Josh Rosen. Okay, um, this will be fun. Let's talk about Green Bay. 
I have completely changed my mind about the Green Bay Packers quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. I have never really been a very big fan of the guy. Uh, I've criticized his leadership. I've talked about things I don't like, this and that. But I have to admit, Aaron has won me over. Uh, the more I listen, the more I hear what he's saying, I, I like the messages he's putting out. Uh, in fact, someone on Instagram kind of made a joke. They said, Zach, it's like you're playing an Uno reverse card. And I guess they're kind of right. Because what I, my perspective now was that Aaron is handling a situation that he really doesn't want to be in, but he's handling it very, very well. He did a really great sideline interview during uh, their week two preseason game against the New York Jets. And my, my takeaway from this interview is this is a different Aaron than I've ever seen before. He's gracious. He's patient. Totally at peace. Kind of above the drama. Like he's trying to be the bigger person and it shows. Like it's, I, when I, you know, he said a lot. He said, I, I, I tried to work on my mental health and I believe him now. And I believe him when he says it's unfortunate that all the drama came out on draft day. I, I kind of go, okay, it kind of makes sense. I think he doesn't want to deal with this. I think he really just wants to keep his head down, play quarterback, and enjoy his life. And the way he's winning the situation in my mind is by just killing with kindness. He's just going to be, hey, say whatever you want about me. I'm going to be myself, and that's all I can do. And I'm going to be gracious and kind and genuine and patient and Look, I, I, I'm a person. People call me an Aaron Rodgers hater all the time. And for, for someone like me who doesn't like him and has no incentive to like Aaron at all, I'm not a fan, I don't really care, that, that, to me that's impressive. That, that shows how much Aaron, I don't, I don't know, how much he maybe his heart is in the right place where he's won me over. And I'm not the kind of person who, I, I have an open mind, I try to be fair, but I would never have thought I'd say anything I'm saying right now. Again, I 100 thousand percent believe he worked on his mental health this offseason it shows and I, I gotta say really credit to Aaron I would hope if I was ever in a situation where I hated my boss or maybe I disliked people I worked for or worked with if I was ever in a situation like Aaron where Aaron I think clearly doesn't want to be in Green Bay anymore but he has no power they they own his contract they're not going to trade him away I would hope that I would be as gracious and peaceful as Aaron has been, but I don't think I would be. I think it would drive me nuts. I'd probably just go off on an interview and be like really angry and explode with frustration. And so I, I admit, I, I don't think I could do what Aaron's doing. I, I hope I would, but, and by the way, exploding with frustration wouldn't help anything, by the way. It only hurts you, but uh, Aaron has no option here. Green Bay is not going to trade him. And so if Aaron wants to play football this year, it's going to be with the Green Bay Packers. And I want to credit Aaron. It seems like he's making the best out of it. Either make it work in Green Bay or he's literally got to retire. And so I respect the maturity there. It seems like he's totally aware of the situation and he's making peace. Sure, like that's good. But he also appears to be enjoying himself, enjoying the moment. And that's what life's all about is whatever situation you find yourself in, making the best of it and trying to enjoy your life and trying to enjoy the little day-to-day -day moments. And that appears like what Aaron is doing. And I find that very inspiring. And I have always compared Aaron to Tom Brady, but this is something that Aaron's just absolutely nailing right now is he's, he got married. He seems happy. He's enjoying his career. Despite the fact that there's stuff I'm sure he doesn't want to deal with off the field and behind the scenes with management, this and that. And so 
I love to see it, man. I find myself rooting for Aaron Rodgers, and I never, ever thought I would say that. I look at Aaron, what he's doing, how he's handling things, and I go, that's really, really cool. He's making the best of a really, really tough situation. Now, I want to acknowledge something because people always tell me, you got to watch the Pat McAfee, Aaron Rodgers interviews. And I was always skeptical of those because Pat McAfee is friends with Aaron Rodgers. To me, that's two friends talking. And I watched some of them. There were really no hard questions being asked. And I was like, well, this isn't an interview. No one's pushing against Aaron saying, like, I would have said, hey, why are you glaring at people? What's going on there? And I would not have attacked him. I would have said, hey, like, is that your leadership style? What's going on there? Those questions were never asked, and that always drove me nuts. But Peter King's article was a turning point for me. Peter King is an NFL reporter that I very much respect. He's objective. He's fair. I, I, I trust everything he says. I trust his approach. And that like, article he wrote really changed my perspective, opened my mind. And I always try to be fair. I always try to be honest. I, I, even though I, I have been harsh on Aaron before— I hope you know, like I never was trying to be unfair. I just had this perspective. And honestly, Aaron has really won me over. If you listen to what he's saying, if you listen to the messages he's putting out, his energy, everything. Aaron is, you know, just, I I can't say it any better. He's won me over. I'm rooting for him. I hope he does well. And I never in a million years thought I'd be saying that. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break when I return. Uh, We're going to review quarterback performances from preseason week two. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Uh, I got to say just a quick thank you. People were so kind and gracious after uh, the first episode here in Hawaii. And I I still very much am figuring out this room. I'm figuring out uh, like how to make it less echoey. I'm figuring out how to be more comfortable with the fact that I can hear people talking like across the street and I hear birds and I hear wind and I hear trucks and it's crazy. I don't know if you can even pick up on the sounds behind this, you know, back out there, but I can. And so it's, I'm still, I think, you know, first of all, I haven't been recording any shows really much in the last week and a half. And that, that always feels like I'm a little bit rusty and I got to come back and, uh, remember what it's like to even record a podcast, let alone in an unfamiliar room with, different sounds and all kinds of stuff. So uh, you guys are very, very patient. Please continue to give me a little bit more time. I'm working on it. I'm figuring it out. Um, I want to shift gears to preseason week two. This past weekend, we had preseason week two. And first of all, I apologize. This is later than I wanted. My brother was in town this weekend. I spent time with him. Uh, I didn't start watching any games until Monday. Then I watched 10 NFL games. So here we are. Let's talk about them. Was it 10? Was it 11? I don't know. I want to start by talking about Mitchell Trubisky, though. He made his Bears return. Well, it was clear. he made a return to Chicago, this time playing for the Buffalo Bills. It was very interesting. It was very exciting. He did very well. Mitchell Trubisky is, I think, in a very, very good spot with the Buffalo Bills right now. He's kind of a perfect backup. And as I look back on the past, I think it was just a bit hard on the guy. Uh, he's not useless. I would not build my franchise around him. But I look back on the way I talked about him in the past and I, I stand by everything I've ever said. Like, I still think he has a weak arm. He missed people wide open. It drove me nuts. The Bears probably should have benched him a year and a half ago rather than waiting as long as they did. But uh, I also look back on the way I said that stuff and I think I was too harsh. I was probably very intense and I, I regret not being more kind in the way I said that. Even if I'd said the same thing, I could have said it in a slightly different way. Now, 
In preseason week two, Trubisky ran around a little bit. He threw a touchdown. Uh, the dude looked like he was having fun, which I think is very, very cool. And Mitch has a limited arm. He's never going to wow you throwing, but he's a very ideal backup. He's a guy who's played a lot of games. He's won games. I'm pretty confident that if Josh Allen got hurt for a game or two, he'd come in. They've got a great roster around him. He could win a game or two. I think he'd be okay. And so Trubisky right now, I think it's exactly where he should be. He's got a role that's helpful. He's a good backup. He's learning. He's having fun. He's playing in an offense he likes with people he likes. And he's got a very similar ability to Josh Allen with not the same. Josh has a better arm. He's a better runner. But Trubisky can run around a little bit and extend plays, very similar to the way that Josh Allen can, in fact, that he even can, because most quarterbacks cannot even do that. And so I think not only is he a really good backup, he's also a really good backup specifically for the Buffalo Bills and the fact that his playing style isn't that far off of Josh Allen. And so I, I honestly was happy for Trubisky. I thought he did very well returning to Chicago. And it was cool to see, hey, this guy is totally at home with this new team. Now, the Chicago Bears, uh, they named Andy Dalton their starting quarterback. I got to ask, and Bears fans, please feel free to write in, let me know. I wonder how you guys feel about that. How do you feel about Andy Dalton being your new starting quarterback in Chicago? Now, the Bears offense did basically nothing against Buffalo uh, on offense. They played a ton with Andy Dalton. He had, I think, the entire first and second quarter. And the only good thing, in fact, yeah, he did play the entire first two quarters. He had an interception on the final drive. That's not really fair. It was kind of a, you're trying to make a play before halftime. I can forgive that. But the only good thing Andy Dalton did the entire game was he threw a deep ball to Rodney Adams. Rodney Adams made an incredible play, stole the ball away from a defender, ran for a long touch, I think 73 yards on the dot. And yeah, like that's a cool play. But I would imagine Bears fans didn't feel encouraged at all. I certainly did not about the Bears offense where the Bears, even with their starters playing, just could not move the ball against Buffalo. They, you know, it was like punt after punt after punt, punt, fumble, punt, punt, fumble. And I wonder how long Andy Dalton is going to be the starting quarterback in Chicago because they got a really manageable schedule early on. In their first five games, Chicago plays the Bengals, the Lions, and then the, the Oakland, uh, sorry, the Oakland. I'm always going to want to say Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders. Those are all winnable games. You can win in Detroit. You can win against Vegas. You can win against Cincinnati. And you know, by the way, Chicago against Cincinnati week two, Andy Dalton against his former team. That's going to be really, really fun. But my point is that Chicago cannot afford to have a bad start. They're playing weaker teams against teams that are with winnable games. They have to capitalize. They cannot start one and four or even two and three would be almost a unforgivable start for the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy, and their current starting quarterback, Andy Dalton. Now, I will say the Bears play the Rams week one. The Rams have an incredible defense, probably the best in the NFL. I would not want to play my young rookie quarterback, Justin Fields, week one against that defense. I'd rather Andy Dalton take a beating. Hey, fine, whatever. I'm not going to throw Justin Fields to the Wolves. I think that's great. Uh, I also think it's interesting that I would say Matt Nagy's on the hot seat. And I am curious, you know, the thing you could do is just say, hey, we're starting Justin Fields right away, throwing him into the Wolves. That has an opportunity to maybe help Matt Nagy save his career and save his job. 
I think it's actually pretty interesting. He's putting the franchise ahead of himself by starting Andy Dalton first, because I really truly believe that it's better for Justin Fields development if he sits and waits for a while. Um, but Justin Fields, after watching, the guy is not ready to play it. He's fun to watch. I love watching the guy run. He ran for, I think, four times for 46 yards uh, the other day. He made two awesome throws to Jesse James. One was a, a big throw down the sideline, I think a wheel. And then he had a throw that should have been a touchdown kind of down the middle to Jesse James. Jesse James should have gone up for it and caught a touchdown. Instead, he didn't make a very good play on the ball. Uh, the announcer even talked about how that's the kind of ball that Jimmy Graham probably would catch in the Bears offense. Um, but I will say, Justin Fields also missed a couple things. There was a, a key play later where he, he did not recognize a blitz at all. A defender came free. He actually popped Justin Fields. They got a penalty for it. His helmet came off. But that's the kind of thing you have to recognize that. And that's a guy who I would not feel comfortable putting out against the Rams defense week one where I'm like, yeah, he, he can run. He can extend plays. But he's still not quite getting every detail you need to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And Andy Dalton is not perfect, but you trust him a little bit more because he's a veteran. He's seen more. And I got to say also, I really love watching the relationship between Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. Every time they cut to them on the sideline, they look like they like each other. And that's so rare for that type of relationship. I think that's very, very cool. But I want to be clear. Andy Dalton is a starting quarterback in Chicago, not because he's really, really good, but more because Justin Fields just is not ready. And Andy Dalton is simply just a placeholder until Justin is eventually ready. By the way, I got to say, the Bears looked awful as well. Uh, special teams, offense, defense, any kind of attention to detail, tackling, everything. The Bears at one point were losing 41-6, to and it, it was just ugly and bad. And I know it's preseason, but that did not look like a team that's particularly well-coached at all. And I really wonder, I, for the longest time, have always blamed Mitchell Trubisky for the Bears' failures rather than the coach Matt Nagy. And I'm starting to wonder, okay, how much of this really is just on the coach not being a very good coach, not being very good at details, and maybe part of why they couldn't develop Mitchell Trubisky. Remember, Mitchell Trubisky was limited. I thought he couldn't run very well. He, he runs okay, extends plays, but certainly he does not run like Justin Fields. He also has more of a limited arm. So I felt very comfortable for the longest time blaming Mitchell Trubisky. Now I'm starting to wonder if things go bad this year, at what point do, do, do I, because a lot of people already blame Matt Nagy. At what point do I myself go, yeah, it's the coach's fault. Okay, let's talk about the Patriots. Mac Jones, the rookie quarterback, looked very, very good for New England during preseason week two. Uh, he looked really good mentally. I think it's very possible that Mac Jones could be the starting quarterback for the Patriots, even week one. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, there's not a lot much more to say here. I just, I, I feel good. Every time I watch him, I'm like, hey, they're giving him a lot of responsibility at the line of scrimmage. He's running the no huddle. He's got empty sets. He's doing all kinds of advanced stuff, making good decisions. I feel very, very good about Mac Jones and potentially him being the starting quarterback earlier than we think in New England. By the way, Mac Jones threw a really great deep ball down the left sideline to Nikhil Harry. And, oh, Nikhil Harry didn't pull it in. It was like, it was a great throw. It should have been caught. It wasn't caught. And I just, I, I wrote down my notes, the audacity, right? The audacity of Nikhil Harry 
to demand a trade. And when he requested a trade, he said, hey, I'm not getting enough opportunities downfield. I want more people to, I want more throws to me vertically downfield. I want more opportunities. And for him to say that and then also not be capitalizing when he gets opportunities, it drives me so insane. I'm like, come on, man. The lack of self-awareness. And it feels like Nikhil Harry is blaming other people for his lack of success rather than the fact that he probably needs to do more to be a better football player. And I don't know. It just feels like he's complaining. drives me nuts. Every time I watch Nikhil Harry do anything remotely bad, I'm like, guys, really? So I don't know. I'm probably a bit harsh, but it really frustrates me that he asked for a trade and cannot back it up even a little bit. By the way, for the Packers, Jordan Love uh, did not play at all this week. I was pretty disappointed. Apparently, he has a strained shoulder. I wanted to watch the second-year quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, back up Jordan Love play a lot this week. Did not get to do that against the Jets. That was sad. But we did see Zach Wilson, the Jets' rookie quarterback, playing against Green Bay. And he looked really, really good. He played two quarters. Uh, I stand by. I think that Zach Wilson is the best rookie quarterback out there right now. He's phenomenal. He's very, very good. He's accurate. He makes good decisions. He had a great play where uh, it was a running play, but the corner was really, really soft. He's popped the ball out really quick to Corey Davis for, you know, to steal like five yards. Uh, the way he extends plays is phenomenal. He looks like Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray outside of the pocket. He is good. at he, he made a great throw rolling left, flipping his hips, throwing the ball to a running back on like a little uh, chip route. And so... Even the chemistry that Zach Wilson is building with their new receiver, Corey Davis, it's phenomenal. I, I just, I feel very, very good about Zach Wilson. I don't feel great about the Jets. They lost a key defender this week. And I think the Jets are a year or two away from being a really, really good football team. But I do think they found their quarterback. And I think Zach Wilson is better than Sam Darnold. They made the right move there. And I very much feel compelled that Zach Wilson is the guy long-term in New York. I've seen, I, I liked him going in. I love him now. I like everything I'm seeing. I know it's only preseason, but I don't know what to say. When you know, you know. And I know about him. He's phenomenal. He's a really good quarterback. Kind of like Kyler. Kyler Murray stepped in the NFL ready to go. So did Zach Wilson. They're the same type of quarterback. I feel very, very good about Zach Wilson. Uh, I also watched Tua Tungavaloa play against Atlanta this week. Tua looked awesome. And I, I think expectations are really, really tough for Tua. I've had to adjust the way I view Tua. And when I did that, I went, oh, once I adjusted my expectations, it made total sense. And I felt way better about Tua and the way he was playing. Comparing Tua Tungvaloa to Josh Allen or Justin Herbert or even Trey Lance, it's not quite right. Because Tua has a different style from those guys. He's not going to run around a bunch and throw deep balls off of his back foot. He's not that type of quarterback. Let me tell you, neither was Drew Brees. Drew Brees was not the kind of guy who ran for a bunch of yards or made all kinds of crazy throws in a tight window 70 yards downfield. No, he was quick and precise and accurate, made good decisions, got the ball out of his hands very quickly. Drew Brees always needed a good team around him. Thank goodness. Hey, Tua has that as well. When I watch Tua... I have to remind myself, yeah, he's he's more like Drew Brees than he is like Russell Wilson. And I also, I, I got to say, I think I was a bit harsh last week when I talked about preseason week one for Tua. Tua really made only one mistake. He, he threw an interception in the end zone. Not good. You can't do that. 
But he only made one mistake, and I came down hard, called him underwhelming. I think part of that was I was harsh on that one mistake. The other part was I didn't understand I need to change my expectations for the kind of player Tua is. Yeah, when you compare him to Justin Herbert, it's not quite fair. It's not quite right. But I, I, I don't know. Against Atlanta, Tua moved really well inside the pocket, looked like a young Drew Brees, except left-handed. I was impressed, and he did good work. I walked away very, very optimistic, especially because I realized, oh yeah, Tua is more of a you know a surgeon type player where he's going to make good throws quickly, get the ball out of his hands, be accurate, and oh yeah, by the way, he's got a great team around him, a great defense, some good playmakers, Jalen Waddle, good running back or two. I I still have questions about the offensive line in Miami, but I feel very, very good about Tua. The more I kind of change my framework and frame of mind and change my expectations for him, I go, oh, yeah. Why am I expecting him to run for 50 yards? That's not the kind of player he is. So there we go. Uh, Sam Darnold only played for one drive for Carolina this week. They they got the ball really quickly on a turnover. They got the ball in great field, uh, field position. He threw two passes, was one for two. They got stopped on fourth and goal. Basically, with Sam Darnold, I learned nothing this week. We saw nothing. We got nothing. Nothing new happened. It was very, very underwhelming, and I was very disappointed. Not because Sam Darnold was bad, but because we just didn't see very much at all of Sam Darnold. Now, the Steelers game, uh, Big Ben looked fantastic. If you're a Steelers fan, you got to feel very, very good. Pat Fryermuth had two touchdowns. Uh, Dwayne Haskins played the entire fourth quarter. He didn't get to do very much. Uh, the Detroit Lions had the ball most of the fourth quarter. They even got an onside kick, which gave them, like, literally stole an extra possession away from Dwayne Haskins. By the time he got the ball late in the fourth quarter, he really just had to run at the clock and manage the game a little bit, run at the clock. Um, but Dwayne did very well. I, I remain optimistic about the future of Dwayne Haskins. He made good decisions. He made good throws. Um, now, Quarterback space is limited in Pittsburgh. You have Big Ben, the starting quarterback. Mason Rudolph is the backup who will play. If Big Ben gets hurt, you want a guy who can play a little bit if Big Ben is out for a game or two. I think they trust Mason Rudolph a lot more than they trust Dwayne Haskins based on the amount they're playing Dwayne. And they view Haskins as a long-term investment. But then they have Josh Dobbs, who Big Ben really, really likes, who... Josh Dobbs basically acts like a coach. He's the fourth quarterback on the roster. He probably won't play. He hasn't played much in the preseason. He might play a lot in the final game, depending on what they do with their strategy. But I'm curious who gets cut here because you hear a lot of stories about how Josh Dobbs really, really helps Big Ben prepare week to week. Are they going to cut him and then keep him on the practice squad? Are they going to make him a coach? Like, I don't know, but... I'm curious. I think Josh Dobbs is the odd man out because they like the potential of Haskins, but keep your eye on that. I'm curious if they keep four quarterbacks. Do they cut one of them? Do they cut two? I don't know, but that's a story that's interesting to me is who, how many quarterbacks do Pittsburgh keep and which ones particularly do they keep? Okay. Um, Buccaneers rookie quarterback Kyle Trask had a... Yikes, a bad day. Um, he had two interceptions, should have had more. He did have one that got tipped off a receiver's hand, so that was kind of unfair. But again, he should have had probably four interceptions because a bunch got dropped. And so, like, ah, I don't know. He, he struggled with accuracy. He did not look good. It was ugly. 
And I, I just I have to report this because it's really important that young quarterbacks take advantage of every opportunity they get. And I felt like Kyle Trask simply did not do that in preseason week two against Tennessee. And I, we'll see if he develops into a better quarterback that they believe in. But I've heard a lot of talk like, hey, Kyle Trask is the future. He's amazing. And I'm like, what are you seeing that I'm not? Because I don't see it right now. And I, I was... I don't know. We'll just give him time. It's too early, but what I saw last week in preseason week two from Kyle Trask was really, really scary and really, really bad. Okay, the 49ers. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance both played. Jimmy Garoppolo was fine. Was not good. He got one drive. They, I think it was like a 15-play drive, but on a third and 12, threw a ball too high over the middle, got deflected, got picked off. And I, just watching, could not help but feel like drafting Trey Lance was absolutely the right thing for the 49ers to do. Jimmy G is just limited. Trey Lance could do way more. He's an explosive runner. He's got a bigger, better arm. Watching Trey Lance made me very, very confident. I felt like, yeah, okay. Not only did they do the right thing by drafting Trey Lance, they did the right thing by not drafting Mac Jones or Justin Fields. Uh, Justin Fields is, is similar to Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance is, has even more potential. And I look at what the difference between Jimmy Garoppolo and Mac Jones isn't good enough to draft Mac Jones over Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance potential is hilariously big. It's like, oh my goodness. And I, I am so convicted in the fact that he's the next kind of guy who's going to have a development, you know, that looks a lot like Josh Allen where it's ugly, it's rough early on, but it gets better and better and better. And by year three or four, you're like, this dude might be one of the best young quarterbacks in the entire NFL. And that is Trey Lance. I like Zach Wilson a lot. I would even go as far as saying that Trey Lance has more potential than Zach Wilson does. Trey Lance looks like a Madden quarterback. Like he's just so capable of so many things. Now, he's still learning. He had an interception where the ball bounced off a receiver's hands, got picked off. He had a play where... He looked a little bit hesitant on a sit route over the middle where he double and then triple clutched it and finally threw the ball a bit late, got deflected, almost got picked off. So Trey needs patience. He needs time to develop. And the good news is the 49ers are very, very capable of giving him that. Jimmy Garoppolo makes it a perfect scenario where they've got a veteran quarterback who's decent, who they like, who they trust, who has won a bunch of games for them. And it allows... Trey Lance to develop properly and not be rushed into duty too early. And I am all in on one thing. I, I totally have confidence that when Trey Lance, after he develops a little bit more, is going to be amazing. He is going to be one of the guys we talk about the same way we talk about Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. Trey Lance is that kind of guy. And I could not feel better about what the 49ers have done by drafting him. Now, the Saints... I would play Jameis Winston and make that my starting quarterback if I was Sean Payton, head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston is capable of more. He's got a higher ceiling. He's very explosive as a quarterback. We saw that in the preseason on Monday Night Football against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Taysom Hill, their other quarterback, I've said this all along, is just not the long-term answer. He's very average. He's got a weaker arm. He's an okay decision-maker. He, I don't know. I just, Jameis, I'm not, I don't know that Taysom Hill, in fact, I'll tell you what, Taysom Hill is not the long-term answer 
for New Orleans. Jameis Winston just might be if you give him a true opportunity. And he made some throws, Jameis did, against Jacksonville where you're like, how is this even a competition? And I, everyone pretty much wants Jameis to win the job. We all think he will because we all saw the potential he had when he led the NFL in passing. He had 33 touchdown passes. Now, the problem was 33 touchdown passes and 3-0, 30 interceptions. That cannot happen. But we all assume a good coach can solve that. And the Saints have a good coach with Sean Payton. He saved Drew Brees' career. So I'll just tell you now, I would start Jameis Winston. I'd make that my guy. And uh, keep your eye on that story as it develops. I would go with Jameis Winston. By the way, the Saints young receiver, uh, Marquez Callaway, had a great game. He had two touchdowns. He had this incredible one-handed touchdown catch while being guarded by the Jaguars' expensive corner, Shaq Griffin. I was like, oh, my goodness, that's a big play. So keep your eye on Marquez Callaway. That's apparently a guy who is a bigger name than I even realized. Now, finally, let's talk about the Jaguars' young rookie quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. I'll be honest, I'm worried. I, I don't feel good. And Trevor looks good. I mean, I'll, let me be clear about that. Trevor Lawrence is awesome, looks phenomenal, very good young quarterback. He had one throw in particular where he was rolling left. He made a tough throw, moving left up with touch over a defender into a, the receiver's hands. Perfect throw. It was great. But the team around Trevor is really, really bad. And when the Jaguars suck this year, I encourage you, do not forget. Remember, it's not Trevor's fault. It's not his fault. The team is bad. He's got a bad offensive line. He's got a dysfunctional organization. He's got a coach who... Urban Meyer's never coached in the NFL before. I don't know if he knows what he's doing. I'm not confident in that. He's got a bad offensive line. Trevor's going to get hit a ton. Like, watching against the Saints, there were so many times where he didn't even have an opportunity to get rid of the ball. He's just getting hit as he throws, and it's like, oh, my goodness. And Trevor, Trevor's doing all the right stuff. He gave a great quote about how leadership is earned. I like that. He's making good throws. He's making good decisions. But I, I just can't help but remind you, do not forget what he has to overcome in Jacksonville, this organization is not good. And they failed so many times. I'm, just, I'm nervous, man. And I, if I was a Jaguars fan, I would not feel good. I, I don't know how you guys feel, but if I were a Jaguars fan, I'd be like, ooh, I'm worried this guy's going to get like his neck broken week four. And I think this could be a Peyton Manning situation where year one is really, really rough and ugly and then after a rough start, things get redirected and maybe a coaching change happens or maybe they get a new offensive coordinator. And maybe in year two, things are better for Trevor Lawrence. But right now, things are bad. And I just want to remind you, if the Jaguars are terrible this year, I'm telling you now, it's not Trevor Lawrence's fault. The same way it wasn't Gardner Minshew's fault when they were literally tanking and Gardner Minshew had no help around him at all. It, it, Trevor has no help here. It's really unfortunate. And I... I mean, I think they got their quarterback. Trevor looks pretty good. He's young. He makes good decisions. He makes good throws, but he has no help at all. And I, I just encourage you, do not forget that when you watch the Jaguars this year. It'll be tempting to go, oh, Trevor's bad. He's not good. He's not this, but no, 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 no. None of this is Trevor Lawrence's fault. He's been given a horrible hand and is trying to make the best of a really bad situation. All right, guys. Um... 45 minutes in. I love you so much. I appreciate you. That's all I have for today. Uh, got another episode literally in the can right now. I'm excited, working on all kinds of stuff. 
Uh, now I'm free. My, my family is gone. I have six months now of, of peace and freedom. Uh, I live far away from everybody I know. I can work every single day. No one can bother me. No one's going to invite me to dinners. There's no obligations. There's nothing. I can just work happily at my desk every single day from here until the foreseeable future. So expect lots of content coming. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.